This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, 14 through 15, and 21 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the human traditions. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them, rather it is what comes out of the person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slaughter, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile the person. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So one thing that struck me about this congregation when I arrived here was the response to my tattoos. I don't really make them a secret. I really can't make them much of a secret. And quite literally, I wear them on my sleeves, and the pun there is absolutely intended. As opposed to other churches and other settings where I've pastored, I've had maybe one or two people who would privately nod or ask about them after service or in a secret place, or else they'd do that sort of, my eyes are looking anywhere but your tattoos sort of thing. But when I've gotten here, I've had many of you ask me about them directly, something that has been slightly different than what I'm used to. Some of you, Linda, who's not here, so you can blame her, have even gone as far as asking me to talk about them in a sermon because there's a story here, on this arm at least. So here we go. I'm going to start this off very briefly, talking about the tattoos, and then I'm going to get past that, and I'm going to talk about why I chose to talk about that today. So tattoos. I'm not going to go into all of them, because there's a lot, and because I only have you here for a few minutes, and uh, I was told that I have to try to make this 15 minutes, because it's hot in here. 
looking at you. <laughs> I don't want to spend my entire sermon talking about them, so uh, I will say that I'd be happy to talk about them in other settings, but I'm going to just brush over them really quickly here. And I'm going to be talking about the one that's hard to hide, the big, bright, colorful piece. So my watercolor icon piece was a labor of love that I commissioned from an artist in Pontiac, Michigan, and I got, the, I got it in the style that I did because, on one hand, it's different. It's different than any other sort of religious tattoos I've seen. And on the other hand, I'm really not a fan of most contemporary Christian artwork. What you might not know about this piece is the symbolism behind it, the fact that it tells the story of the church here. When we begin on the outer arm, we have John the Baptist, and he's surrounded by dots, and he's carrying the scroll of Isaiah to represent the seasons of Advent, or the season of Advent, the preparation for the coming of the Lord. The dots surrounding him represent the witness of those who came before him, the prophets who paved the way for the journey of the one crying in the wilderness. On the inner arm, we have Mary and Jesus, which represents Christmas, and around them there's a stained glass window-style collection of stars, which represents Epiphany, the coming of the Magi. Flowing from John into the skull on the elbow, there is the watercolor patterns of blue, baptism, and the skull represents Lent, the period of wandering in the wilderness. Further up, and you can't see it at this point, there's the crucifix, which represents Holy Week, Good Friday, and Easter all rolled into one. And on the inner side, we have Mary Magdalene in red, which represents Pentecost. Finally, we have Christ, the image of Christ up on my shoulder, surrounded by 24 dots, the dots being the 24 elders seen in Revelation, which represents all saints, and Christ being Christ the King Sunday. So if I ever need to remember where we are in the Christian year, <laughs> we're, uh, we're right about here. <laughs> So why do I mention this? Why do I bring up tattoos and do something that pastors shouldn't talk about in church? Well, I do it because I want us to consider how often it is that the reactions that we get about our bodies remind us of the actions of the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage. Whether it's weight or tattoos or piercings or clothing choices or whatever the case might be, we always ha seem to have voices that are telling us that we are not living in accordance with the traditions. We're too fat or we're too skinny or we're too put together or we're not put together enough. We wear too much makeup. We don't wear enough makeup. We dress like a prude. We dress like a floozy. We wear too much jewelry. We don't wear enough. We have too many tattoos, we don't have enough. It seems that regardless of what we do and how we present ourselves, we're always going to be judged for it. We're never going to be enough. So one of my favorite internet trends is one that mocks this idea that says that we should reject modernity and embrace tradition. 
The joke began by playing on a serious image that people would post where it would show a person dressed in some supposedly traditionalist way next to someone in some ridiculous dress that someone might wear today. And next to it, it would say, embrace tradition, reject modernity. The idea is that we've fallen away from who we were and it's time to go back to the glory days of the past. Now I say it's one of my favorites because people have kind of taken it and twisted it and made it into something funny rather than something that's, well, kind of shameful. And that it seeks to make people feel bad about themselves. So rather than showing someone dressed in a fancy suit next to someone in, insert random thing here, instead we see someone in a fancy suit placed next to someone in an even older form of dress. So the 1920s gangster look might look really cool, and it might seem like a good example of what tradition might look like until you place it like until you place it next to an 8th century visigoth or an 18th century british officer and then you impose those same words reject modernity embrace tradition the idea is that we are all impeding on tradition we're all living in a different world than the people who dressed in a certain way 100 years ago or 200 years ago or even 50 years ago. And yet we always seem to have those who want to cling on to the traditions of one set time that were once themselves considered a break from tradition. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile but it is what comes out that defiles, Jesus says in this passage. And quick side note, and repeating the title of the sermon here, just because Jesus is talking about his disciples not, wear, not washing their hands doesn't mean that you shouldn't wash your hands. <laughs> We're in a pandemic. Come on, people. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but the poison hotlines in nearly every state has been bogged down by people eating horse dewormer for a solid week. And I was just at a restaurant a couple days ago with someone coughing and sneezing with no mask on. So I'm rethinking how the clipper hours are going to, or not the clipper, the uh, blinker hours are going to work. Because that wasn't exactly a fun thing to have coughing on my shoulder. So I'll say this in one instance, I'll say in this one instance, don't listen to Jesus and wash your dang hands. So anyway, going back to it, our clothes, our diets, our tattoos, our piercings, our lack thereof, these are all parts of how we present ourselves to the world. These are not defilements. These are not degradations from some sort of glorious and mythic past that quite honestly never existed and when we cling too tightly to the past sometimes we forget to embrace the present 
Sometimes we're so concerned with putting on the rose-tinted glasses and staring at the images of what used to be that we forget the very real people who live with us here and now. God doesn't call us to love the traditions of the past. God calls us to love the people of the now. Now we can, of course, appreciate them and we can, of course, enjoy wearing or emulating the styles of old. But when we judge other people for not sharing in the same standard that we set for ourselves, then we might find that we're setting ourselves up for failure. This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus says. It's this way with people, it's this way with how we act and how we present our worship, because how many times do we hear about how much better everything would be if we could just go back to the way things, every, to the way things were? If we can just make such and such great again, then the world will be a better place. If we can just go back to how we used to do worship, how we used to do ministry, then we can fix all the problems of the church and we can continue on forever. Well, will this be the case? Or will we be living as a people of one tradition in a world that's moved on? The presence and the Spirit of God is right here and right now, living and dwelling amongst us. The promptings and the movements of the Spirit are here and now with us. So what is one of the most common narratives that we might hear about the past? That everyone was healthy, that everyone was skinny, that everything was better. If you pull out a picture from the 1970s, we will inevitably hear someone talk about how skinny everyone was, how better it was before the food was processed and sugar was the way of the world, and that's true in many ways. But what happens then is that rather than focusing on the systemic factors that went into the change, instead it becomes about individual shame. People just need to figure out how to be healthier. People need to push back against all the things of the world that are pushing us in one direction. And so people are made to feel less because they aren't as skinny and as fit as they were then. It's that way with people when we look back at the 1970s and before, and it's that way when we look at pictures of ourselves from before the pandemic. If you're like me, odds are good that you've put on a few pounds since February of 2020. Odds are good that you pulled out a pair of pants that you put aside a couple years ago and found that they don't really fit anymore. Well, let me be the first to say this. That's okay. You're not less for being bigger. You're not less for being smaller. You're not less for remaining the same. It simply is what it is. Remember, there's nothing outside that defiles. It's what comes from within. 
And perhaps one of the most liberating and freeing things that we can do for ourselves is an act of resistance against the forces of the world that tells us that we're not enough and that we'll never be enough is realize that it's okay to be who we are. And maybe one of the ways to do this is to reclaim a word that has taken on so much power that we do everything but talk about it and we use every word except it, and that word being fat. So often this word has been a mark of shame. How many of us have stared into the mirror in self-loathing and hatred and said, you are so fat? How'd this happen? We hear that voice saying failure. You hear that voice saying not good enough. You hear that voice saying you need to do more. But then we use coded language to try to get around that word. We say things like I'm bigger or I'm overweight or I'm heavyset or I'm plump or I'm chubby. And we do anything but use the actual word. We don't use the word because deep down we all think it's this mark of shame. We all have this implicit bias, this sort of fat phobia as though there's something wrong with fat people. As though they're, or to be honest, we're lazy. As though there's something inherently wrong with people who don't fit the model image we see on television. And of course, we hear it tied to health because people will end up shaming or trying to shame people who are fat because they want us to live longer or they want us to be healthier. Or they want us to do it for our own good. But again, how many of those same voices that denounce us sound like the voices of the Pharisees and the scribes we hear today in this passage? Why do you not live according to the elders, but rather allow yourselves to be fat? Every study that's ever come out has proven that shame, that fat shaming, provides exactly zero benefit. In fact, often it causes people to gain more weight. As for the other health benefits that are thrown out, we hear things like heart attack and heart disease and diabetes, and these are all real factors and things that exist in our world, but all of these things have been on decline since the 1970s. That moment when apparently everything was so good before sugar and fast food became the way of the world. The difficult truth is that if you don't love who you are now, you're going to have a hard time loving who you might be later. You're always going to have something that makes you feel like you're missing out, that you aren't good enough. If you don't love people as they are now, you're going to have a difficult time loving them as you would like them to be. 
I've come to accept and admit to myself, myself that, what I, that I am what the world would call fat. I am a fatter person than some. I am a skinnier person than some. But in all that, in all that I do, I work to be sure that I am happy with who I am now. I work to be sure that I love who I am now because I know that God loves who I am now. Maybe one day I'll be skinnier. Maybe one day I'll be fatter. Maybe one day I'll have no legs, one arm, and one eye. And that's where I want us to take all of this. Christ loves who you are right now. It's not what goes into you that affects whether you are good or bad, because you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are a human being created in the image of God. And you carry that image wherever you go. And you meet that same image in the face of everyone you meet. And perhaps one of the most radical things that we can hear and we can tell ourselves and we can tell other people is that you are worthy of love. You're worthy of love. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop that. And so there will always be voices that act like the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage, telling you how you should act in order to be better, in order to be healthier, in order to be not what you are now, but the fact is you are loved and you are worthy of love exactly as you are now. And so may that and not the voices of the world be what you tell yourself when you look in the mirror. when you're in your darkest places. You are worthy of love and nothing can take that from you. You are worthy of love and that is what you are made for. You are worthy of love and so share that love with others. And so maybe in some cases what we need is an inversion of the golden rule. That golden rule that says love others as you would like to be loved or treat others as you would like. Let's be honest, sometimes we're our own worst critics. Sometimes we have an easier time loving others than we do loving ourselves. And so maybe what we need to do, maybe what we need to learn in some instances is to love ourselves as we would like to love others. Is to treat ourselves how we would like to treat others.